All right, everybody, welcome to episode four of Gasoline and Caffeine. Thank you for joining me today. We're going to talk about a few iconic race cars, uh, my top three garage, and Porsche's new Mission R, which could be the future of racing as we know it. So this is episode four. Let's get into it. Hello everybody, thank you for joining me. Episode 4, like I said, we're going to start with talking about some uh, iconic race cars. This is mostly personal, this isn't just like a cover-all, be-all list of all the iconic race cars that have ever existed. Um, it's mostly personal to me, just stuff that I remember for one reason or another. Some of it TV shows and some of it video games, things like that. Um, so we're going to start with, I think everybody knows these cars, uh, Dale Earnhardt's cars, both of his. Um, that yellow and blue Number three, Wrangler, Chevy. Um, it was, I can't, I've seen some pictures where it's a Lumina, and I've seen some pictures where it's a Monte Carlo. Um, I think that in NASCAR, Chevy transitioned between the two a few times in like the 80s and 90s before settling on, I believe it was a Monte Carlo for the vast majority of that generation car, which was I think three or four. And so that's the, the most common one. But by then, uh, he was in the black car. Uh, the the uh, the car that I think pretty much everyone knows, uh, which is that GM Goodrich service car. Um, but the first one that I remember, um, I remember seeing on TV was the black one. That I think that's the one that everybody for the most part remembers is the the black and silver GM Goodrich service car. Um, that for the most part I want to say was a Monte Carlo or Monte Carlo SS to be specific until um, obviously until you know his death in two thousand one. Um, he never got to see the end of the car of tomorrow. I think generation five or no generation four, the car of tomorrow, which is generation five, generation six, which is running now. And then the generation seven, which is the next gen car, which will, uh, it's supposed to debut next year. Um, so his ended with, I believe the Monte Carlo SS, which I think was the gen four. Um, it might've been a gen three, but I'm not sure. Um, but anyway, so the Wrangler car was the first one, like I said, the blue and yellow. There was a couple different numbers, um, for the vast majority of it, it was the number three. Um, but I want to say that there was a short time he may have had a number two or a number 15. Um, I don't know why I can't remember the history behind all of that. Um, because those were not cars that I saw very often. The most common one I saw obviously is a number three. Um, if you want a more detailed, history of that go listen to the dale jr download um there is several episodes where people who worked with dale earnhardt throughout his entire career um they explain all of that and how all of that happened and where he went and why he went where and how things happened you know things like that and sponsorships and and manufacturer deals and teams and things like that and then like the number thing like i said why those changed um, cause when I Google it, there's several that I'm seeing that have the number 15 and they're from when he was driving, but these look like very old cars, like gen two cars, maybe. Um, so I'm sure there was a reason that that existed in NASCAR. If you guys don't know, teams tend to own certain numbers. And so if he was driving for a different team, but Wrangler wanted to stay with the driver and not the team, that's why he had the car, but he didn't have the number. And like I said, I'm sure there's a whole history behind it. I just don't know what it is off the top of my head. Um, I know that I've heard it, and I know that I do know it. So I'm just right now off the top of my head, I I can't think of it. Uh, but yeah, so that's that's the first one on the list. Um, 
that blue and yellow number three Wrangler car. And then he transitioned transitioned to the the GM Goodwrench car, which is the car that most people are familiar with. This is when he started getting this nickname as the Intimidator. Um, that black and silver, uh, it was just a pretty much black car with a, a short silver bar around the bottom with a red stripe as trim on that silver bar. Um, and then a white number three with a red outline. That was really it. That for the vast majority of the races that he ran, that's was it. That was his car. It was that simple and it looked good. It was very clean, very simple and it looked really good. And then every now and then he'd throw in some type of special paint, depending on what was going on. I think the most common one was like the all-star race, things like that. Maybe Daytona, he might run something different. Um, I know that he, I think he ran this, the silver and orange GM Goodwrench car. And I want to say that was an all-star race. I can't remember. Uh, but I remember seeing that car somewhere. That may not have been him. It may have been Dale Jr. or somebody that ran it uh, later. But I'm remembering that car. I'm not seeing it here on Google when I Google the images. Um, oh, there is a picture of it. Dale Hart's NASCAR. All oh, yeah, it was an all-star car. What year was that? I wonder what year that was. Um, the 1995 All-Star Race at Charlotte. So that was the I, that was a good-looking car to me. I really liked it. It was silver. And then the Goodwrench service, all the Chevy logos, the number threes, everything was orange. All that stuff was orange with black rims. That was an awesome-looking car. Um, he, drew, he also drove an American flag car for the uh, – sometime in 1996 for the Atlanta Olympics. Um, it was like American flag theme. I think it had a silver number on it. Uh, oh, the Wheaties car. I remember that car. That was just an orange car with a white stripe, and it had Wheaties on the front instead of uh, GM Goodrich. Still GM Goodrich on the sides. Um, one of his, one of my favorite, uh, like, one-time schemes that he ever ran was that this gold, I believe it was Bass Pro Shops. I could be wrong. Um, it was a gold, uh, just a gold version of his car with Bass Pro Shops on the hood. And then I want to say, like, the hood... Like the hood, the trunk, and the roof were black. Um, they may not have been. I might be remembering that wrong. Um, but that was a very good-looking car. I liked that car. Anytime I played games, any of the NASCAR games that had uh, special paints that you could pick, and you didn't, you weren't just stuck with you know whatever the the uh, most common paint that that driver had. If I had the, if I had the choice to pick that car from Dale Earnhardt, I always chose it because I loved that car. I don't know why. I just liked the way it looked. Um. There was another one that he ran that was like rainbow themed. I don't remember exactly what it was. I want to say that um, it had to do with a movie maybe. I don't remember. I just remember it was all rainbow colored and it was different. Like the number three was it had like a like a faded rainbow kind of thing on it. Um it was like mostly yellow and red, I think. And I don't remember what it was. It might have been for a movie, and I just don't remember exactly what it was for. But that was a cool car, too. He only ran that, I think, once. Um, and I think that was towards the end of his career, too. So, like, kind of 99, 2000, 2001, something like that. Well, 99, 2000, uh, something like that. But, yeah, for the most part, that black car was what everybody, you know, remembers him from. Um. That, and that's, I mean, for me, that was the one that I remember the most is watching him. And uh, my favorite dr driver was Gordon, Jeff Gordon. And so I remember them and that rivalry that went on the whole time. Uh, me and my dad watched NASCAR all the time. And I remember them always going back and forth every weekend for one reason or another, you know, because of that rivalry. 
Um, so speaking of Jeff Gordon, that's actually the next one on my list is that Rainbow Warrior car. That when I became a Gordon fan, when he started in um, I want to say '94. I don't even remember when when Jeff Gordon started in NASCAR. What his first start was. I want to say it was '94. The only reason I remember maybe it wasn't '94. You know, I'm gonna Google it real quick. Um, I just remember because he won. Um, he won the inaugural Indy 500. And I think that's when I decided I was really going to be a fan of his. Uh, his first race was, oh, 92. It was even earlier than I remember. It was 1992 Hooters 500. So when was his first full season? Let's do that. First full season. 93 was his first full season. Okay, so 92 was his first cup race, period. 93 was his first entire season. I do remember... I do kind of remember... I'm just, that, that was pretty young, but I vaguely, vaguely remember him racing. I, I know that he drove uh, in the Bush Series for a little while in the number one Baby Ruth car. I, I can't remember who he drove for, like Bill Davis or something, um, before he got moved to cup. Um, which was 92, yeah, 92, which was uh, his very first year. And then he moved, uh, 93 was his first full season. That was when he started racing that Rainbow Warrior car. Um, I remember him winning the very first uh, Indy 500, like I said, or not Indy 500, Brickyard 400, like I said. Um, I remember that, and that's kind of when it solidified that that was going to be, uh, that was, he was going to be my driver, you know, four, five, six years old, however old I was. Plus, he came from dirt. Um, he raced midgets and sprint cars and stuff like that, and I'm, I'm always a fan of those guys. Like now, I'm a huge fan of Kyle Larson. Um, he's my favorite driver by far simply because he came from dirt. He also drives for Hendrick now. Hendrick has always kind of been my team, but um, coming from dirt, just, I don't know. I'm always a fan of those guys. Uh, but yeah, that Rainbow Warrior car. So it was, for the most part, uh, DuPont. Uh, DuPont paint products or what I think it's paint products or automotive finishes maybe was what it was. Um, that's by far the most iconic car for me for Jeff Gordon. Um, later in his career, um, he, he would run that rainbow warrior car from time to time, but it was like, like Exalta or something after DuPont kind of pulled out of a primary sponsorship position. I want to say they remained on his car, but it was always like secondary, um, uh, you know, smaller quarter panel or the trunk deck lid, you know, something like that. It was never anything, uh, anything real large. Um, but yeah, for the most part it was DuPont and that's what everyone knows it as. And it was, I, it was just a good looking car, very simple design. Um, that for a short time, it was just kind of a plain flat, like glossy finish. And then when they started doing the metallic blue in the middle, cause it went from red to yellow to green to light blue and then from the back of the hood to just behind like the where the doors would be and then all the way to the back of the roof um, is dark blue. And then it just goes opposite from there all the way to the end. Then it goes back to red. Um, when they started doing like this very deep metallic blue on that car, I loved it. I loved that car. Um, and I had several. Who knows where they're at now? But I used to have several die cast cars of that car. And they just looked so good in that metallic paint. Um and I've seen a lot of people like on iRacing um, redo his car like on the next – like on the, the first time I saw it was on the SS. Um, and then now obviously you've seen it on the new Camaro and the next-gen Camaro. And it's a good-looking car. It makes me miss those days of NASCAR. I'm watching Jeff Gordon and Dale Earnhardt and Mark Martin. All those guys race and now none of them are there anymore. Uh, 
but yeah, that's the next, that was the, the next car on my list that should have been at the top, but I just decided to do it with the, everybody knows the Dale Earnhardt car. That's the one that I think everybody's, anytime you say Dale Earnhardt, everybody knows that black number three. Uh, but yeah, Jeff Gordon was my driver, you know, obviously he's retired now. And so now it's Carl Larson, but yeah, that rainbow warrior car is by far the most iconic for me as far as, uh, my favorite driver goes. I was, um, like the flame, when he switched to that flame design, it was still DuPont, um, but it was, um, like more of a flame design. It was sort of similar color scheme. It was just flames, obviously, instead of that rainbow thing. And it was okay. I mean, it was a good looking car. It was definitely decent, but man, that Rainbow Warrior car was just, he ran that for so long and it was so iconic. I just, I really, really wish that he had never changed it. But I understand, you know, uh, corporate stuff and sponsors and money and all this stuff. They want to change it up. They got to change it up and they're the ones paying the bills. So, you know, you can't really say no. So I get it. Oh yeah, that's it really for NASCAR. But the next one, um, not everybody knows and everybody's a fan of, but I know a lot of people are going to know it. Uh, but it's probably one of the most iconic, this is probably not the most iconic, but it's probably one of the most iconic, uh, formula one cars ever, uh, to be seen anywhere. Uh, but it's Michael Schumacher's shell and Marlboro, uh, F1 car. Um, I think the one that I think of the most is I think the F 2004 Ferrari. Um, I think that's the one that I think when I think of Michael Schumacher, that's the one that always pops in my head. Um, cause for those of you guys that don't know, uh, like NASCAR, they tend to keep a generational car for a few seasons at least before they switch them sometimes for a long time. Formula one, they tend to change every single year and every single manufacturer is different. They always do things slightly differently. They have a given set of specs that they're allowed to be within that are allowed to operate within when it comes to everything engines, um, aerodynamics, front wing, rear wing, things like that, underbody, the body itself, suspension, things like that. But every manufacturer interprets those differently and does things differently. And every year, the specs tend to change a little bit, and then manufacturers figure out new ways to take advantage of all those specs. So the cars tend to change looks, not a ton, but enough from season to season. And so Ferrari... Uh, just for example, since this is uh, from 2004, 2005 or in there somewhere, um, has changed quite a bit since then. You know, it's been 15 years at least uh, since then. So the cars look quite different. The cars are actually quite a bit larger now than they used to be. Um, the motors are a lot different. Obviously, they used to be those, you know, <laughs> 8, 10, 12 cylinder just screaming engines. And now they're, I think they're all six cylinders. Um, they're all like turbocharged, things like that. Um, and they were, they sounded so awesome. And now they, I just don't like the way they sound at all. I used to watch Formula One quite a bit. And honestly, the sound is what has, I know it kind of sounds stupid, but the sound is really what's changes it for me because I loved hearing those things just scream when they were flying down straights, redlining in seventh, eighth gear, whatever gear, how many they have. And now they just, they just don't sound the same. Uh, They're they're just as fast or faster. um, And they use, they're they're supposedly more efficient. Obviously, I don't know the numbers behind it. Um, You know, and I get that's all good and everything. It makes it cheaper. It's better for the environment and all that stuff. But man, the sound was such a big part of watching Formula One, IndyCar too. And it's just gone. And so I don't really watch Formula One too much anymore. Every now and then, um, if it's on a on a TV channel where I can just grab it and, you know, watch pieces of it or whatever, or sometimes they'll upload... Um, races and NASCAR does it too. They'll upload races to YouTube, things like that, um, or on their website. Um, sometimes I'll watch them, but for the most part, I just don't really watch it a whole lot anymore. Um, but anyway, so back then, 
Formula One. <clears throat> um, it was the Formula 2004 or F2004. I guess it's not Formula. Uh, but F2004, Michael Schumacher's, like I said, Marlboro Shell Ferrari. That car was iconic. Um, I think for the most part, it might have had Vodafone on the side too, if I remember. If that's the logo I'm thinking of, it just looks like a water drop and there's no text around it. I think it was Vodafone though. Now that I think about it. Yes, it was because it's on his front wing. Yeah, yeah, Because now that they're like a major sponsor for, I want to say Hamilton, Lewis Hamilton. Um but that was on the side too. It was behind, typically behind the shell logo um, is where that uh, Vodafone logo was. It kind of looked like it was part of the paint, but it wasn't. Um, it was an actual logo. It was on the nose most of the time too. Um, but that is a very iconic car. And that guy, one of the, obviously one of the best drivers in the world. Um, hasn't been racing for a while. Um, he was in a skiing accident. I think most people know. And he's just had a hard time recovering. And uh, I, I can't remember if he retired before that happened or he was about to retire when that happened. But w- obviously he hasn't been racing since. Um, but yeah, that is absolutely one of the most iconic cars um, as far as open wheel racing goes um, that I can think of. I just, I loved the way that car looked and the, those, uh, the uh, Formula One cars from that generation and their big tires. They used to have big grooves in the tires. I don't know why. I don't know if it helped or if they figured it helped or something. But they used to have these big, just straight line grooves in the tires, and it was just a, just a, such an iconic part of of an era. You could tell just by looking at the car. You could see those big, fat grooves in the tires, um, from any distance, and you just knew about what time it was from. It was like early to mid two thousands, um, and they don't do that anymore. Everything's uh, just straight up slicks now, unless it's raining or something. Um, everything's just a straight up slick now. Uh, but yeah, as far as Formula One goes, that's probably, like I said, the first one that pops in my head. Um, the next one that pops in my head, not everybody's going to know this. This is going to be even more of a niche thing. This is probably even going to be mostly America. But some people outside of America might know him. But this guy came from and really only did dirt. Um, I think he he dabbled in NASCAR a couple times, but it really wasn't his thing. He raced IROC a few times. I know that. Uh, but for the most part, he was, he was known as as one of the best drivers in the world of outlaws, Steve Kinzer. Uh, the very first car I remember ever watching that guy drive and wheel around my hometown track, Tulare Thunderbolt Raceway, was the 11 Valvoline car. Um, for sprint cars, um, they probably got a motor from a manufacturer, I'm sure, but a lot of the times it wasn't It wasn't as uh, dominant as like NASCAR is, where it's specifically Chevy, specifically Ford, specifically for a while Dodge, now Toyota. Um, it was mostly just a, a big fat 410 cubic inch V8, uh, under the hood. And that was really it. Um, and these things were light as hell. If you guys don't know, they're just light tube frame, single C, the motor's right in front of the driver, uh, the drive shaft that goes back to the rear axle. It's a live axle. It's not, there's no diff or anything like that. Um, they don't have starters or anything. It's just, uh, they have to get push started. And as soon as they get going, um, the only way to stop them is to pull them out of gear. There's like a, uh, I think it's called an in-out box, um, and then come to a stop and shut it off. And then if you want to keep going again, you have to get push started again. <sighs> and they're fast. Um, well over 100 miles an hour easily, and the only thing keeping them on the ground is these big fat wings, one on top and then a little one up on front to help with the, the front grip. Um, but the first one I remember was the blue and white. Uh, I think it had a red frame, red chassis. Oh, yeah, this one does right here. Um a red chassis Valvoline car, the number 11, 
just iconic. And I don't know how many die casts I had of these cars when I was a kid, when I was going to dirt races all the time. I think every time I went, my dad would buy me a couple. Um, and I had, I don't even know how many of them. There were so many of them, but that's the very first one I remember watching him drive was that Valvoline one. Um, and then at some point, and I don't know, like I said, I don't know the story behind it. I don't know the history of it. I don't know how it happened. I just know that he went from Valvoline to Quicker State. Um, kept the same number, uh, but now it was just a mostly green car with a black chassis and then chrome rims. Um, when he had that Valvoline car, I want to say it was, they were like matte rims. They were silver. They were just matte. I think when he got to the, when he started doing the green car, they were like chrome polished. Either way, uh, I switched to Quicker State. So like I said, I kept the number 11, uh, but now it was just a mostly green car. There was really not a design to it. Uh, later in his career with Quicker State, he did. When Quicker State updated their logo, it was just kind of a plain white text, and it just said Quaker State. But then they did kind of get a, lo- a little bit of a logo at a, um, a certain point. I don't know what year it happened, but then they kind of got that iconic gold Q logo. And then they kind of put a little bit of a design on the car. Like this one that I see right here has a uh, like a goldish, like the color of the Q, um, like stripe going down the side, and it's all silver below that. And that looked a lot better than that plain green one but that plain green one I just remember that from being a kid you know it's just I liked it and then they changed it to that um and then so those are the only two that are as far as Steve Kinzer goes those are the only two that I always will remember and I'll always be able to recognize how with how how iconic they are but later in his career because I don't think he races anymore he switched to uh there was like Bass Pro Shops um Bad Boy Buggies he had for a little while. I think he raced Arctic Cat. I think he raced an Arctic Cat car for a little bit. Um, I'm trying to think of everything towards the end. There wasn't a whole lot. And I'm, Google, I'm looking through some of these through Google and that for the most part. Oh, Masilla Valley Transportation. But that was still green. That car was still green. It just had more of a design to it. Um, and that was a decent looking car. I don't know how long he ran it though. Um, but later in his career, yeah, he switched to, there was a couple different sponsors. Like I said, it was Articat, Bad Boy Buggies, Bash Pro Shops, and they were good looking cars. Don't get me wrong, but man, just how good that Valvoline car looked and how good that Quaker State car looked. And it might just be nostalgia talking, but though I preferred those to any other car he had ever driven. Um, his, I I think I want to say his IROC car, which was, I can't remember what those were now. Firebirds? Trans Ams. I can't remember what those cars were. Man, it's been a long time. I wish they would bring IROC back. It was such a cool, uh, such a cool car. I can't remember what those damn cars were. But anyway, his um, IROC car was the same thing. It was number 11, and it was uh, white and green, and it looked flipping awesome. I th- they were. It was sponsored by Crown Royal um, at the time, at the year that uh, Kinsler ran it. Um, so obviously I didn't get to keep, you know, Valvoline or, you know, uh, Quaker State or anything like that. But it was still, it was immediately recognizable. As soon as you saw the car, you knew it was Steve Kinzer. Obviously it's Steve Kinzer. And I'm not talking about just because they had the name plastered on the side. You just knew it was him, number 11 in green. It was just easy to tell. Um, I don't know how many seasons he ran that. I remember him, he had a NASCAR, or he had a NASCAR ride, I want to say, for a very short time. I don't know how long. I don't even know how many races he ran. He didn't do well. I know that. And so he kind of he just never really went anywhere, um, and he just went back to smart car racing, and that's pretty much where he stayed, which is, you know, that's what he was good at. I mean, guy has, I don't know how many wins and how many championships, and, you know, who knows if anybody's ever going to be able to, you know, touch anything that he did. 
um, if nobody, if somebody already hasn't, I know that uh, Shots is still racing, and that guy's getting close as far as that stuff goes, and he's just as good too. Oh, yeah, for dirt, that, that's it. Would definitely have to be Steve Kinzer in either one of those cars. The first one was the Valvoline car. The second one was the quicker state car, uh, but that one's going to be more. I don't know, probably more to America, I guess. And even then, there's not a lot of people that like to watch dirt racing that are fans of NASCAR and vice versa. For whatever reason, people think it's a competition. I don't care. I like them both. Uh, but then, So the next one, which is still sort of dirt, but it's both. Um, this is probably one of the most uh, not non-asphalt uh, iconic racers known globally only because the series went all over the world. Uh this he competed in the WRC. He won a bunch of championships and races, and for the most part, he drove a Subaru the entire time. Of course, I'm talking about Colin McRae in that uh, blue Subaru Impreza 555. Um, that's one of the most iconic Subarus. Um, I think that's probably what helped uh, get the Impreza model family off the ground and and as popular as it is now. I know. Two people. I have two friends who both have Imprezas, and Impreza is definitely a car I would have had um, if it was something I had thought about, um, you know, years ago when you know I had the freedom to be able to pick pretty much any car I wanted. A Subaru Impreza probably would have been one of them. Um, but I'm, so I'm the one I'm talking about though specifically uh is the group A555 which was from like to the mid 90s I think uh the one that's probably the most popular is like a 97 I think there's also the 22B um I don't know that he raced that one though but a lot of people like to make that one look like <laughs> uh McRae's car um so we are going to I'm going to go to Wikipedia because I want to see specifics for this. So uh, for the WRC, he drove for Subaru from 93 to 98. Um, so the, I think the 95 car is the one I'm thinking of that's the most, uh, probably the most popular. Um, but he raced for Subaru from 93 to 98. Um, and he, he helped Subaru complete th their run of three consecutive manufacturer's titles during that time. Um, and the 98 would be his, his uh, final season. He won three rallies that year, actually, and placed third. Um, and then after that, he switched to Ford. From, like, 99 to 02, he ran f uh, for Ford. In 2003, he ran for Citroën. Um, I want to say uh, he retired from, like, full-time WRC racing. He did all kinds of stuff. I remember being in the X Games. Uh, I think Travis Pastrana, uh, I think, beat him in one of the X Games, like, rallycross races. Um, he drove the Ferrari 550 GTS Marinello at the 2004 24-hour Le Mans, Le Mans, uh, before he died in 2007. He died in a helicopter crash in uh, Scotland. Um, I don't remember. I don't know all the details about it. I just remember him. It was something to do with a helicopter crash near his home in Scotland um, is where he died. And there was a few other people on it. I think one of them was his son. Um, and then a couple over oh, right here. Uh, so it was McRae, McRae's five-year-old son, two family friends, and then a friend of Colin McRae's son, and they all died in the crash. 
Uh, so unfortunately, that's how you know his career ended. Um, but like I said, you know the X Games and stuff. He did a lot of stuff afterwards. There was a Colin McRae R four too that was pretty cool. I think he was starting to develop that before he died. Um, I remember that being in some games. It might have was it Forza? No, maybe it was um, Project Cars. I don't remember. Remember that car being pretty cool though. But yeah, so that one is like one of the most popular rally cars. The um, Subaru. Um, it was called the Five Five Five. It was called that because their main sponsor for that car was a cigarette company, and I cannot remember the full name of it. But it ended in Five Five Five. So we're gonna look it up right now. It uh, it was a cigarette company. It ended in five. It, the the name of the company ended. Um, in 555 and the WRC's um, like the rules for sponsorships and stuff prohibited anything with tobacco uh, so that's why uh, that's why it wasn't on there that's why it didn't have the full name on there but the 555 was on there and then Subaru decided to uh, call the car the model 555 so the company was called State Express 555 um, and the 555 moniker became one of the synonyms for the first generation of the racing model because, like I said, WRC wouldn't let him run that sponsor because uh, the, the sanctioning body's rules uh, prohibited tobacco sponsorships. And so they called the car 555, and I believe the number 555 was on the car for a little while. I don't, I can't really find pictures of it. That doesn't mean it didn't happen. I just, like probably not, I just Googled Colin McRae, and I'm just looking at everything. Oh, there's one. The 97 had 555 on it. Um, but then that's kind of where that iconic Subaru design came from also. Um, that's on a lot of the newer cars too. Uh, it was an evolution out of all of that. Uh, yeah, see, here's one. There's a number 555 on it. And it transitioned to kind of a weird, just a bunch of swoops or like scallops on the side um, when the 555 was gone. Um, and I remember playing that a lot in a lot of different games, like Dirt, um, the different rally games, Colin McRae Rally on the PlayStation. Um, he had, I want to say he had a few. Uh, Colin McRae, th uh, there was like in the mid-2000s, I think there was one for the PlayStation 2, maybe? Um, uh, Project Cars? No, it wasn't Project Cars. Maybe it was Gran Turismo. I don't remember. There's so many games that had cars like that in it that I remember playing. Um dirt by far was the most popular one that i remember seeing that kind of car in um dirt rally um just the initial dirt games when those first came out they had all kinds of stuff in them uh but yeah that's definitely one of the more uh, more iconic cars that was obviously rally um and then we're going to kind of go to these last two are um, uh they're a bit older um and it's more of a it's just the car itself. It's not really about the drivers. I'll tell you about the drivers, but it's it's more about the car itself. Um, one I think that most car lovers know is the 1991 Mazda 787B, and it won uh, the 24-hour Le Mans that year. I think everybody knows that car. It's the classic, just that wedge shape with a big fat wing hanging out behind it. Um, it was green and orange. I, The colors were not... Um, I don't know how you would say that. It, it wasn't ugly, but man, it was not something that most designers would probably pick. It was a very strange design. Um, it was just like essentially a big diamond pattern 
around the car and it was orange and green. It was just kind of just an odd, odd color combo, but it worked for whatever reason. But the the colors weren't even weren't even what the car was. About. It was it was the the wedge shape. It was just the color of the car, and more more importantly than the color, the sound that thing made, the sound that that car made was just amazing. Like, I, I can't even describe it. If I can find a clip of it, I'll have to do it in post after I'm done recording. But if I can find, find a clip of it, I will insert it right here so you guys can hear. Um, you guys can hear what it sounds like. You guys know exactly what I'm talking about. If you know about the car at all and you know the sound, you don't even have to have me play it. You can already hear it in your head. But if you haven't heard it, please do yourself a favor. And if you can't hear it on here, if I can't find one, then YouTube it and just listen to the sound that that flipping thing made. It was such an amazing sound for a race car to make. Anyway, so it was it was the, the car that Mazda entered. And there's a whole story behind it, and like I said, I'm sure that I've watched it. I'm sure that I know it. I, just right now, that's you know, I'm not gonna sit here and go into that whole history because that, that's a whole podcast on its own, just talking about this car. Uh, but Mazda entered it in the 1991 Le Mans 24 Le Mans um, with German Volker Wielder. Uh, Johnny Herbert, who is from the UK, I don't know if he's British, uh, English, you know, there's a whole, there's a bunch of countries over there. Um, and then Belgian Bertrand Gachot, or Gachot, probably Gachot. Um, they were the drivers of that car that year, and they won in that class. And uh, just, like I said, the sound that car made when it was going on the track was just amazing. And that car dominated that year. Um, and I want to say that it... It didn't come back for some reason. I think if I remember in the history, right, it didn't come back because of some rules. Usually when cars come like that and then they just dominate an entire race, usually the, the Lamar, whoever the sanctioning body is for that race, um, I think it's the FIA, FIA I don't remember, um, they usually ban it for some reason because they don't want that to happen. And I get it for, you know, for competition and stuff. But at the same time, I, they should allow cars like that to stay because that's only going to foster competition. All it's going to do is make everybody else, all the other manufacturers, go, how, how the hell did they make a car like that and why is it that fast? We need to figure out how to compete. And then it's going to force them to, to, to design something that can compete with that and that's going to make racing even better. You know, but I don't. sometimes I don't think that they come to that same conclusion or they think that far ahead or maybe they did and maybe there's a reason that they banned it and it didn't come back. I, I'm not sure. Either way, one of easily the most iconic race cars ever, mostly the sound. Um, it was sponsored by Re Renown. That's what I'm seeing on the hood. Or what, like, that's not really the hood, I guess. The front of the car is what I'm going to say. Um, and I don't know exactly what it was. It doesn't even have, it doesn't even have like a tagline or anything beneath it. It just says Renown. There's a logo above it. And that's kind of what the design is based off of, it looks like. But I really don't know what it is. Is it a Group C? Is that what it's called? Maybe that's the Group is I don't know. But like I said, it's one of the most by far iconic race cars, especially at a Le Mans, um, that just about any car lover, car nut's going to know about. They can, they can already see it and they can already hear it. They don't even have to look at or hear anything 
to know exactly what I'm talking about. Uh, it's an awesome car, and I've driven it in every video game that's ever had it. It's It has to be one of the cars that's always in every garage in every video game that has ever offered it. I think it's been in almost every Gran Turismo, and I know that I've had it. I don't know if it's been in every Forza, but it's been in some of them, and I know that I had it. Um, I honestly can't – I haven't played Project Cars in so long. I can't remember if it's in there or not. And then there's a – I don't know because I don't play it. So someone who's played it would have to say um, a set of Corsa, which I think there's two of now. I think there's a set of Corsa that came out years ago, and then the set of Corsa 2 just came out. Um, if it's in there and someone plays it, let me know. I, I don't know because I've, I've never played that game. Um, I wish it was an iRacing, honestly. I wish that car was an iRacing. I play iRacing a lot. I really, really wish that car was an iRacing just for the sound, just to be able to sit there and listen to this. That's all I would do is I just <laughs> go to a track, sit on the front street, and just rev it. That's such a good-looking car. Like I said, I can't get over I know I've said it a million times already, the sound. Just the, the flipping sound of that car is amazing. It was an awesome car. It was fast, too. And then the final car that comes out on my list. Man, this episode's already much longer than I ever intended it to be. The 1955 Mercedes 300 SLR. Um, that is that is one of the most iconic racing cars ever to exist. The one I'm talking about is specifically for, is specifically the 300 SLR number 722. Um, it had two seats, um, a very short windshield. Um, the thing was long. I mean, the front the, from the from the steering wheel to the front of the car was a hundred yards. It seems like the car was just ridiculously long, but it looks amazing it's an iconic shape and anybody they may not know it but anybody would recognize this car as soon as they looked at it you uh, you may not know exactly what it is you may not know exactly what it's from or why you recognize it but i guarantee you you would you would see the car and be like yeah i know i know that car i've seen it before i uh, i know it i just don't know what it is uh but this car uh ran in 1955 and man of course I forgot the race that it ran in, uh, but it was piloted uh, by none other than Sterling Moss and Dennis Jen Jenkinson. If I have that right, it could be Jenkinson, but I think it's Jenkinson uh, in that race, and I believe they won that race. And it's one of the most iconic Mercedes, uh, one of the most iconic Mercedes ever, but one of the most iconic race cars ever. Um, I think most people, when you when you see this car, you think of like the old school, like got racing goggles and like the skull cap helmet with the leather sides that draped over the ears that didn't really protect anything at all. Um, but that's, <laughs> this was the technology of the time. That's what the drivers, uh, that's what the drivers wore. Um, yeah, that car is just silver. Um, it had the big, like, <laughs> like big, like catfish looking grill on the front. There's just a big white open hole. Um, those side exit vents with the exhausts. That was crazy looking. I don't know that I ever noticed that the first time I looked at that car. But yeah, there's side vents with exhaust sticking out right there. <laughs> that's, that's awesome. Um, let's. I'm going to look at some uh, details from Wikipedia. It was a two-seat two sports race that took part in the 1955 World Sports Car Championship uh, before a catastrophic crash and fire at Le Mans later that year ended uh, its domination. 
Okay, so that's why that's why I didn't finish the year. Um, it was designated SLR for Sport Light Rhinen or Sport Light Racing, later condensed to SLR. It was a three-liter engine uh, that came from Mercedes-Benz W196 Formula One motor. Uh, shared most of its drivetrain and chassis with the 196 fuel injected. A 2,496.87 cc straight eight bored and stroked. It's a 2,981.7 cc's and boosted to 310 base horsepower, which 1955. That's quite a bit. Um, two of the nine were converted into road legal cars. Uh, they had coupes, styling, goldwing doors, and a footprint midway between the two models. Hmm. So I've probably seen that one on the road before. Uh, so it was essentially mid-engined, but it was a straight eight, so it was kind of like, it was mid-engined, but it was still in front of the driver, um, because the driver was so far back, the motor was technically mid-engined because it was between the two axles. Um, so I'm sure that gave it decent, uh, balance, but probably still not great considering the driver was still in the back over, I mean, the driver sat just about over the rear axle. Um, it was, like I said, straight eight, um, and it made 310 horsepower at 7,400 RPM. Um, it maxed out at about 235 feet pound of torque. Hmm. 16-inch wheels. Yeah, it was a good-looking car. I think it became, they used that name later uh, with development and stuff like that. Eventually, it led to, like, the SLR McLaren, that, um, that car, uh, I don't know that everybody would know it, but if you saw it, you would recognize it. I mean, you you would know that you've seen it before. Um, that one had like a 600 horsepower V8 in it, and that was, oh, that was a stupid fast car. That was in a lot of games. I remember driving that car all the time. I don't remember ever seeing this in a game. I guarantee it was probably in one of the Forza games. I just didn't know it, or I don't remember it. But yeah, it's a definitely a good-looking car. It's one of the most iconic race cars ever to race anywhere ever. That 55 uh, 300 SLR. If you don't know what that looks like, uh, Google it real quick. 1955 Mercedes-Benz 300 SLR. And then put the number in there, which is 722. Just so you get the exact one that I'm, the one I'm looking at. There's a, There was a few of them. There was a, a 659 or an 859, I can't remember. That one was um, driven around the Nürburgring in 77. Uh, but and that one's a little bit different, though. It's not quite the same as the one I'm talking about. Um, the styling was like slightly different. Um, this one had two of those like roll like not they weren't really roll bars, but they were like they were right behind the driver's head, and they were just like two bubbles that were, that came up over the trunk right behind the driver's head, and then uh, faded back into the trunk or into the rear of the car. Um, the one that the other one I was just talking about. Only had one of those, so it was a little bit different. I don't know in every way. I just know it was different in that way. This isn't the exact one I'm talking about. But yeah, that's definitely a definitely an iconic car, one of the most iconic cars. Um, so my intention was to keep talking about some other stuff, um, but this episode already went way longer than I expected it to, uh, talking about all these cars. Um, so we're going to push... Uh, the Porsche Mission R story. I'm going to push that to next week uh, or the next episode, I guess I should say. Um, just because I don't want to sit here and waste too much time and you guys don't want to listen to me, I'm sure, for 
very long, and then me sitting here talking also kind of gets old after a while too. Um, so I'm going to save that for the next time that I record, which hopefully is next week. Um, I meant to actually record on one of my days off and release it on Friday, but I ended up forgetting. Um, and so I just never ended up recording. So I'm going to try to remember to do that next week. The only thing is, is uh, I I work for Amazon. We're going into our peak season. And so I'm going to be uh, in it, going to be doing a lot of overtime, uh, I know, for the next probably two months, three months. And so I probably am not going to record as often because I'm only going to have one day off a week. Um, and that there's going to be times where I just don't feel like recording. I just don't want to sit here and talk and do a microphone or I just don't want to, you know, when I get home, I don't want to sit there and do the research. I would rather just, you know, relax, you know, spend time with my daughter, play video games, whatever. Um, and I'm not going to want to sit there and, uh, and do research or record, but I'm going to try to keep doing it. I'm going to try to keep doing it once a week. Um, my goal is always to record and upload, uh, by Friday record and then have it uploaded by Friday. Um, obviously it's not gonna happen today. This is going to be, I'm actually recording this right now. It's 5.30 in the morning on a Saturday on the West Coast, and I'm going to be releasing this here in probably an hour or two once I get done editing it. Um, so we're going to save that electric story, that Porsche electric and all that stuff for next episode. Along with uh, the new Civic Si, we're going to go over that, the redesign that, some of the new stuff about it. The new Audi R8, um, That's that car, it looks good, and it sounds like it's going to be a ton of fun. And then we're going to go over the five cheapest uh, fun sports cars that are on sale right now that you can buy brand new. And then we're going to throw some used ones in there too, some good deals and stuff like that. But we're going to go over the top five brand new ones um, according to this story that I found. Uh, there's a few in there. Some of them you guys will... Yeah, I think most of them you guys will recognize. Or you won't be surprised by And there might be one or two that you guys are surprised by. I don't know. We'll see. Um, so thank you guys for joining me for episode four of the Gasoline and Caffeine podcast. Please go and find me on Instagram so you guys can send me messages and leave comments and let me know how I'm doing or, or make suggestions. Um, you guys can make suggestions for stories. Tell me stories. Send me your car stories. Things like that. I do want to start interacting more on Instagram. The problem is, is to interact more. I need more followers and I need more followers to be able to interact more. So it's kind of a, a vicious cycle. But I want to, what I want to start doing is talking about uh, followers and their car stories and, and getting their dream car or building their dream car, you know, whether that happened overnight or whether that happened over decades, whatever, you know, I want to start doing that and start talking about people's, uh, their own stories and, and actual real people's stories and not just, you know, the stuff that I find on the internet to talk about and sit here and yap into a microphone for half an hour. Uh, but like I said, I need followers for that. And so hopefully we can get that going. But if you're listening to this and you do follow me on Instagram or you do have a story and you don't follow me on Instagram, go follow me on Instagram. Send me your story. Send me pictures. Tell me your entire story. Tell me your name. If you can do the podcast with me, excuse me, and talk about your story, that's even better. Um, we'd probably have to use discord, uh, or whatever way we need to FaceTime. It doesn't matter. We can figure it out. Um, if you already follow me on Instagram and you have a story, tell me. If you guys just have a cool picture you want to send me with a little bit of a backstory, tell me. That's something I want to start posting on Instagram as well as telling stories on the podcast. Um, and then if you guys are following and you want uh, – this is something I've thought about. I just don't – I really don't know how to do it or what I would do. But if you guys want a YouTube version of this, of this podcast so I can show you pictures and different things like that, let me know. Let me know on Instagram. I'm, I'll – Maybe I'll put a poll up or you guys can send me a message or something. Um, if that's something people are interested in, I definitely want to do it. I don't know that I will. Like I said, it's just I don't know that there's enough here to do it yet. 
it is something that I would like to do eventually. I just don't know that I have enough at the moment to justify making a YouTube channel and then uploading, editing an episode or a, a whole video and then uploading it every week, you know. But if you got, if it's something that you guys, when you listen, you want to see, then let me know and I'll, and I'll do that. I'll get right on that. So, uh, yeah, if you guys, um, if you have stuff you want to tell me, you stuff you want me to talk about, things like that, just let me know. Uh, but like I said, uh, this has been episode four. My name's Cameron. Thank you guys for joining me today. Um, I'll try to remember to get an episode up next week so you guys continue listening. Um, join me on Instagram. I'll leave links to the Instagram profile uh, in the show notes description as well. At, well, no, I didn't have any stories today, so I don't have any links to leave you guys. Uh, so I'll just leave the Instagram profile in the in the uh, show notes uh, as well as my email address if you guys want to get a hold of me that way instead of Instagram uh, or if you don't have Instagram, whatever, it doesn't matter. But like I said, anyway, um, thank you guys for joining me today for anybody that listened. And uh, hopefully I will see you guys next week if I remember to record. If not, I'll see you the week after that. Uh, but until then, you guys uh, have a good week. 